Amen. So we're continuing on our story uh, of God. If you missed any, we're on part three. If uh, you've missed any parts, we do have them available on uh, all the podcast streams. Um, we just figure it's easier that way. You can download them. Also on our website, ChristCommunity.life, we have them there as well if you want to catch up on the um, different ones that come through. So for those that weren't here last week, I'll just do a brief overview. If the first week where was the idea that God made everything, He made the world beautiful and good and everything. Last week we looked at this idea that this perfect world was broken. And the key theme that we see consistently that we're going to see from the beginning of Scripture all the way to the end is this idea that human beings were made in God's image, that we are image bearers. And we went into what that looked like, this idea that we are um, communicating something about God to the rest of the world, and that we're functioning really in this way of, of ruling or caring for or stewarding God's creation. And um, we saw last week, though, how because of sin and rebellion, that, that this idea that Adam and Eve really kind of wanted to find good and evil on their own terms, they rebelled against God, the world was broken, and with that came murder and abuse and oppression and um, all sorts of brokenness. And how one of the key aspects of relationship was, was, was broken, that God and humans had this really sweet relationship where there was full access, that human beings could just access God at any moment, and they were fully accepted. Their, sin wasn't hindering their, uh, their ability to, to get to God in a sense, and that with sin, access was broken, and acceptance was distorted and broken. And that we also saw interaction with human beings was also distorted, that Suddenly, Adam and Eve went from this space of fully known and fully loved, that they were naked and unashamed, and they, now they were hiding. They're hiding from each other. They were hiding from God. And it really kind of changed everything. And although they were image bearers, there was a distortion now. And so it led us to the question, well, how, hopefully, as the Jewish reader was reading this, they, they had this question go like, well, how will things be made right how will things be made right? And for us, we have the advantage of knowing that, that God wasn't absent and that he had a plan and we know how this story ends, that obviously God himself would come to earth, that he would conquer sin and death, restore relationship with himself and with each other, and that we kind of ended with this time of how until then we're invited by God into this relationship with himself, right? That, that we've been invited into this beautiful relationship that he's had for all of eternity, right, in the Trinity, and he's invited us in. And we kind of talked about what that looks like for us to function in this way of invite, how we're inviting others to participate with what we're doing and inviting others in relationship, and how it's a very different picture than God kind of looking down on everything we're doing and, and going, you're not doing good enough for this. That posture is different when we're realizing that God is inviting us to enjoy himself. And so along that, we're going to continue uh, with our story. And so I want to, I'm going to just kind of, we're going to kind of see that the title of this really is As God Pursues. That in the state of this broken world where things aren't functioning as they're supposed to, if you were to read Genesis, it gets bad quick, okay? Like six chapters in, God's like, I'm done. Let's destroy it all, okay? Like six chapters, that's all it took for God's like, I regret it, I shouldn't have done this, let's just end it all, right? And so... But one of the things that we're going to see, and when we read these books, we always got to keep in mind that this was written to a very specific audience, okay? They were Middle Eastern, they were Jewish, they weren't written to us, okay? You know, God obviously is 
word of God is living and powerful, and, it, and he's still speaking to us today. But this was written to a Jewish audience. And one of the things that was beautiful back then, a lot of times, and we still see it in literature today, is themes would, would begin, and we see these themes continue on through all of Scripture. And so we're going to look at kind of a theme when we look at Genesis chapter 6 real quick, and then we'll get into Genesis 12 as God pursues and starts over essentially with a new, a new man, and we'll go from there. So real quick, Genesis chapter 6, we look at this, God going, what did I do? And when man began to multiply on the face of the land, um, the daughters, uh, daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw the daughters were attractive, and they took them to their wives. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide with man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. And the Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards. And the sons of God um, came to the daughters of man and bore children. And these were mighty men of valor. Verse 5 is what I'm going to focus on. Now the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved, and it grieved him in his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This, in four verses, is a four-part play of the theme that we see essentially happening is that human beings in their wickedness, essentially, I mean, if we're not going to get into like old, old archaic, you know, the Hebrew language here, but if you were to read this, like there is so much negative in this state that man's heart was only evil continually, like every, like there's so many, like we are so lost, okay? Like every intention all the time, like, Wife and I always talk like biggest fighting words in a, in a marriage is like these absolute statements, only, always, you always, you only, like guaranteed fight, right? And God's going like always, only, every time, all the time, only, you're bad. Like it was no questions asked what he's saying here in verse uh, five. And it leads to this space where God goes, man, I am grieved at the state of human beings. And because of their only evil all the time, I'm going to, the, the judgment is declared and I am wiping them out. They deserve it. They're guilty. It is over. And then we see verse 8, and it is fascinating to me. I love this, especially since, um, I'll, I'll touch on this in a second. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The order of verse 8 and verse 9 are intentional. I grew up in a culture that emphasized verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Therefore, God chose him. But that's not. Noah was included in the everyone, always, ever, always, the worst ever, always. And God, he found favor in God. And we see the pattern begin. That will be for the rest of Scripture, that God chooses people. He, is, he gives them favor. He gives them grace. 
And in doing that, it cha- there's a radical thing that changes in how they, they, they function. Even in, as we're going to look at Abraham, Abraham today, Abraham screwed up so much, so much. The man after God's, God's own heart, we're going to look at in a few weeks, David, so much. Murder, adultery, terrible father. Like, right? Like, so often, there's this idea that I, I have to be better. I have to be, for God to, to like, and all of these things. But we see the pattern that God, in the midst of the wickedness, says, this guy has found favor in my eyes. And so we're going to see that, right? We see that even to this point, this pattern. And so, regardless of that, God destroys the world, as we know, right? Through the flood. And he chooses Noah, and Noah is righteous, and he does this, he protects his family, the world is wiped out, and, uh, but God is not done. And we, we know the story of Noah, that Noah also <laughs> fails and messes up, and he's the first one to get drunk, and gets naked, it gets weird, real quick, Okay? And uh, so we know that it wasn't like just dialed, right? So in the midst of all this, we see God pursuing human beings. He's not done with us yet. That's why this is God's story, right? We see from Noah and on, right? We have Babel come into the play. We have this constant state where human beings continually are rebelling against God, and God is continually faithful. And he continues to pursue, which leads us to, to Genesis chapter 12, where God, where he originally took human beings and said, I'm going to make this, this, this people, this human beings, and they're going to be a people that's going to image me to the world. Of course, they messed up. God's like, let's start over. Let's start with Abraham. And so he says to Abraham in verse 12, 1 and 2, I want you to leave your family and your land and go to this land I'm going to show you. And it's fascinating that he chooses this Middle Eastern couple in their 70s. They have no children. And he asks them to leave all their relatives and travel to a land they have no idea. I mean, like... Let's start completely over, like later on in life. No kids, and he promises him a new land and a new people, which is just hilarious, that he didn't choose the young people, he used the older people. We've heard this a lot of times. But he makes a a promise here in verse 3. He says that in your seed, all of the world will be blessed. I will bless those who bless you, and I will dishonor those who dishonor you. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. That was God's heart for every descendant of Abraham. That was his heart for the Israelites. We know they weren't that, they weren't that awesome, right? His goal was that as a people, you will bless everyone around you. This is the promise that we know who that blessing is later on. And so they go out on their journey, screw up a bunch, time passes, still no kids, and then verse 15, or chapter 15 happens. I'm going to read this whole passage because it's crazy weird, but it's awesome. As we just see God pursuing it. And, and after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. He said, fear not, Abraham, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abraham said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside, and he said, Look toward heaven and the number of stars. If you were able to number them, 
Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him his righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you up from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know it shall be, uh, I shall possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, young pigeons. And he brought all those, and he cut them in half, and he laid them half over against the other, their opposite sides. But he did not cut the birds in half. And the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abraham. And behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then the Lord said, Know for certain that your offspring shall be sojourners in the land, uh, not theirs, and um, will be servants. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment upon the nation that serves you, and afterwards I shall bring them out to great possession. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you shall be buried in good old age, and you shall come back here the fourth generation for the iniquities of the Amorites, and so forth. And when the sun was going down, um, it was dark, and behold, a smoking fire pot of flaming torch passed between these pieces, and the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I will give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river of Euphrates, to the land of the Kenites, the Kezites, the Kemites, the Hittites, the Pezites, the Remophites, the Emirites, all the Ites, and the Jebusites. Long passage. This is why I'm reading it. If we're looking at the pursuit of God in this passage, this is one of the most unique, in, it's, I get it, it's strange, I'm going to explain it, but it is such a powerful picture of God's pursuit. God starts over, he makes this guy a promise, promises him offspring at 70s, it doesn't happen for 10 years, for 20 years, for almost 30 years. In the midst of all this, at this point, years later, God says, listen, no, I have an offspring for you, and you're going to have so many uh, offspring that you can't even number the stars in heaven. And we see, as we're talking about patterns, something arise. It says that Abraham believed God, believed him, trusted him. That's what faith is, right? Trust. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Which is fascinating. That he was in right standing with God because he trusted God. It hasn't changed, okay? But that's the same way we're in right standing with God is when we trust God. It's not because we're good enough and we do everything right. And so we have this pattern emerge that he's in right standing and then he has him do something very unusual. He has him get these animals and he cuts them in half and he puts them on the other side and there's these birds trying to eat the flesh and you're like going, what is going on? Why is Cody reading this? Okay, let me talk about covenants. Back in the day, this culture... When two people agreed to something, they would take an animal and they would cut it in half and they would walk through the animal in all of its grossness. And what we were saying is that I agree to my end of this and, as I, and then I walk through, I agree to my end of this and if I don't fulfill this, let what happened to this animal happen to me. Okay, That's what you're saying. It was like a contract of contracts, Right? A covenant was, it was, like a, it was like a contract, but it was, it was a little more serious, okay? And so here we have God making a covenant with Abraham. Except, I don't know if you noticed this, Abraham didn't walk through. As he promises them a new land, and he, and he does promise his people will be in 
that they'll be enslaved and all this other stuff would happen. But he promises them a land. He promises that this whole territory, this new people, Abraham falls asleep and God is the one that walks through. We cannot minimize the significance of this. God walked through, Abraham didn't. God was saying, I promise to do this whether or not you do it or not. It was a one-way promise. It was a one-way covenant. And God was saying, if this doesn't happen, let this happen to me. And we see, obviously, as many of us know the story. Yeah, and what was Abraham doing the whole time he was sleeping? So just throw that out there, okay? That's what he contributed to the covenant. So we, we know what happens, right? He turns 100, Isaac's born, he has a family. Eventually they all end up in um, Egypt. Their family's still a mess, right? Um, their family was a mess, it kept going. All of this stuff, they end up in Egypt. In the midst of all of this, before that, obviously, is we have this time where God even asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And I hope, you know, the story of Isaac and Abraham, which I think is a beautiful story, like wanting to make sure, like, I guess that he just is committed to him. And one of the things I mentioned it before that I love is as he's going through this, this time, he, Abraham, um, Isaac sees the wood and sees the fire and says, Father, where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And so as time goes on, their kids have kids, everything goes crazy, they end up in, in captivity. Abraham and his descendants broke the covenant multiple times. Like many, 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 many times. Like they broke this covenant. But because it was this one-way promise, we see something super beautiful years later, right? We have the advantage of, of seeing the end of this story because years later there was a promised son that would come. A promised son that would come and he was from essentially the seed of the woman, right? Like the promise to Eve. The seed of the woman, he says, by your seed you'll crush the serpent. Jesus, born of Mary, born of the Father, comes. The Savior promised Eve. The Lamb of God promised to Isaac, essentially. Where's the Lamb? God will provide himself a Lamb. Jesus. And he would be torn apart for Abraham and his descendants breaking the covenant. Jesus' body was torn and, and broken. The des- what Abraham and his descendants deserve, what we deserve, happened to Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the punishment of the covenant that we deserve. He was torn. The consequences were placed on him. The Lamb of God, the only Son, was sacrificed. Where he was spared with Abraham, he was sacrificed for the sin of the world. God's wrath was satisfied. The judgment that he declared on humanity under Noah was satisfied in Jesus. There's no longer judgment. Forgiveness was given. True forgiveness. Not like if you earn it forgiveness, but like real deal, we are fully forgiven because God's wrath was satisfied. His requirements were fulfilled. Everything necessary for us to be with God was accomplished in Jesus. He is the fulfillment of the covenant that he promised Abraham. 
He's the fulfillment of the consequence of the covenant of Abraham. He's a fulfillment of the lamb promised to Abraham. He was a fulfillment of the promised Eve. He's a fulfillment of all of these things. It culminates in Jesus so that the whole world would be blessed. He is the blessing of the covenant that he made to Abraham. And it's still happening today. We're a part of that. That's what's so sweet is that we get to continue that promise made thousands of years ago to this Middle Eastern guy in his 70s. We get to be a blessing to the nation as well, to every nation, to every family, for wherever we're at. We're continuing on the mission that Jesus fulfilled. We get to proclaim the promised son, the sacrificed lamb. That's, that is what part of being able to image God again that's, that's part of what we're doing now. That even in our, our, our pain and our brokenness and our suffering, we're able again to image God, communicate something about Jesus to the rest of the world, and be a blessing. I love, as we continue on in this story, we're going to see how much of these stories point us to Jesus. And I think it's absolutely beautiful to see that all these stories find their fulfillment in Christ. And hopefully as we go through this, it, it we see perspectives of Christ that maybe we haven't seen before. And it just reminds me of the passage in 1 John chapter 3 where it says, Beloved, we are children of God now. I've talked this multiple times, but it's always beautiful. But what we will be has not yet been revealed. And I love that because sometimes we feel like we need to arrive, but yet our identity is we're children of God now. Like, this is who we are, and we know we're a work in progress. He says, but we know that when He appears... Jesus, we will see him as he is. And we will be like him. And I love that because what we're trying to accomplish week in and week out, whether you're here or whether you're at home, hopefully, is to see something about Jesus we haven't seen before. See an aspect of Jesus that we find beautiful and glorious. See something in the word that we maybe haven't seen in that perspective in hopes knowing that we will be made a little bit more like Jesus. And one day, we're going to see him with unveiled face. And we're going to see him as he is. And in that moment, we're going to be changed and we're going to be made like him in every way. And John concludes that little verse with this, this thing that just blows my mind. And it says, he who has this hope, what hope? The hope that one day we'll be made like Jesus when we see him. He who has this hope, purifies himself as he, Jesus, is pure. The hope and the finished work of Jesus is where we find purity and holiness. It's the hope knowing that you are going to complete the work that you began. That as I see you, there's going to be something purifying, that it's you that's doing the work. He who has this hope purifies himself as he is pure, talking about Jesus. And we can hope in that. And so as we close out our time, and we continue some musical worship, and we reflect on that, let uh, just the Spirit minister to you in regards to like seeing Jesus in a different way, and that the idea knowing that we can continue on what Jesus has done and being a blessing to our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, whatever else, that we continue on being a blessing to the whole world. Like That's what Jesus came to do, ultimately, right? And so let me close in prayer.